it's up to you and me to shine a guiding light and lead the way. United by our cause, we have the power to pursue what we believe. We'll achieve the realization of our dreams. Hello and welcome to New Horizons. I'm Vaughan Benison. Thanks once again for your company. Today we bring you the second program in our series on the future of work from the Blind Citizens Australia Convention held in Hobart in March 2019. Here's the presenter of that session, Kelly Schultz. Technology obviously plays a really big part in, in how education is delivered, uh, but it also means that education has to keep up with um, teaching technology. So how do you see technology um, and the impact of technology and new technologies coming into uh, the education, uh, both as a, as a tool, um, but as a subject as well? Firstly, I probably should take us back a little step uh, just to talk about the nature of work and how, it, how it's changed um, at a national level because I think this we've talked about the technology and how it um, is impacting on people's individual work but it's actually having a really significant effect on what's happening to our labour market. So there's a shift in the type of work that's happening. So we're seeing jobs disappear like manual unskilled labour. And there's a real increase in skilled and professional occupations. There's much wider markets, so no longer are we working in a localised community, we're working globally. Now these things all have impact on, on how schooling happens. The other thing that's happening is that casualisation of the workforce that Kelly talked about. And so we're seeing um, this new term called the gig economy or having a portfolio career. The other key thing that's happening is that there's um, becoming more of a shortage of workers and not a shortage of jobs. So if you put all of those things together, Kelly, and you start to think about education and what that means uh, for the technology component, because they're all, they're all a result of the impact of technology. So that has big implications for schooling and the things that we prioritise in schooling, but not just in schooling, in our further education as well. So we're very much uh, aware um, that young people need to have a minimum of year 12 completion um, to get into the workforce, but all the research is saying that a Certificate 3 VET qualification is actually what people need for 93% of the jobs. Now that's really changing uh, what we need to have as outcomes for young people when they finish school, but also for people wanting to enter the workforce or to um, to reskill so that they can move into um, new jobs or as the technology takes um, over some of those more manual tasks that they've actually got the skills to move into the more human tasks that um, require things like critical and creative thinking, problem solving and teamwork. So for schools we're very much um, prioritising those things. So we now have courses around project management. We have uh, big real world problems that students have to solve and they have to pitch those to industry. So they have to pitch their solutions to somebody. So there's a number of things um, that we're doing. The other things that are really important are that um, the nature of gaining works really different. So once upon a time, you typed up your letter of application and um, put your resume together. Now you've got tools to help you do that, but you've also got tools analysing that information. So 
Uh, when you do your application, it's going to, it potentially could go through a machine that picks out all the key words. Now that's got real implications for how we support young people to learn about uh, how to apply for jobs, how to become ready for that workforce. We've talked about reskilling and and those skills about critical thinking or, or project management. People wanting to use the term diversity and inclusion um, because they like to put it on their website or or hang and hang their hats on this diversity and inclusion concept. Um, but what is the what are the potential benefits but also pitfalls of that in joining the employment um, market. As Kelly just said, yeah, diversity and inclusion does seem to be a topic out there, and and this could be, um, as you mentioned, because it's it's the, the you know quote unquote the right thing to do, um, and and businesses want to advertise themselves as you know morally and ethically good companies to work for. Um, we heard Megan say there is a shortage, there's a shortage of, of workers, and that's the truth. You're competing in a global economy now. Um, there is a shortage. There's this um, concept that I think is more American. It's called talent. You know, we need to capture the best talent and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I think businesses are trying to do everything they can um, to be to promote themselves uh, uh, as um, inclusive and to take a divergent work divergent workforce. There are a lot of studies out there, I guess, that um, do highlight the economic benefits of having a diverse a diverse work workforce. I guess the pitfall is that it's just a numbers thing and they're just trying to put um, a number on the board. Um, the, the opportunities are that there are, there are businesses that are taking it very seriously. There are businesses around the world that are, are really re-looking re at the, the things that they do. Um, and I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. Um, at the moment, diversity and inclusion, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of emphasis on females, which is a fantastic thing. Um, having you know, more females in leadership positions. And some of the things that, meaningful things that companies are doing are they're, they're really looking at their, their training. They're looking at, yes, we, we, teach a, um, we teach a course in negotiation skills. And they've looked at it critically and they've said, okay, well, this, this uh, course was based on how males negotiate with other males. And they're looking at it again and saying, okay, well, let's, let's refocus this. Let's make this more impactful for everyone. Um, or, you know, problem solving. Um, you know, males might think differently females. So those are, those are some of the examples. But then, I guess, more, making that more broad, the diversity and inclusion, I guess, that uh, the inclusion does include, you know, disabled people um, and looking at the way that uh, the work workplace is designed for disabled people and how it can be more inclusive. So I guess, um, in summary, uh, the, the pitfall or the, the threat is that it's just a it's just a statistic that someone's trying to hit but the, the benefits are that there are lots of corporations out there who, who, who do see the benefits in in terms of economic and um, social benefits and are really moving towards including all types of all types of people including disabled people in the workplace Suman does um, Ira have a diversity and inclusion policy we don't talk inclusion we do inclusion <laughs> Um, couple of points there. <clears throat> so, 90% of the companies, at least in the United States that I know, which I think is globally true as well, are small businesses, right? When we look at any of the conventions, majority of the companies who are company, com coming forward are big giant corporations. We don't have to name them, but you can guess who they are. 
So it's, which is great, which is awesome. And that's what, you know, Roko was also touching on, uh, you know, how they have these individual programs to kind of do the training and, and, and come forward. But then imagine, and they're, they're hitting their numbers. That's great. But it's not enough. It's not enough that we are addressing a large community where we are opening up the opportunities for everybody and we are doing something to you know, fulfill their passion, right? As a student myself, I want to do several different things. My parents forced me to do engineering, <laughs> which I did. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a bad thing. But then you know, I followed my passion, which is I did my MBA, and then you know, I started something to, to do something different. So, so I, guess, I guess my point in here is we should be going beyond the 10% corporations who are thinking about or having those programs because that will still only limit how many number of people who are uh, blind or low vision can hire them. So, so, so what are the programs that we can collectively together that will address that 90% of the opportunity that we are not talking about today? And that's what I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about the 10% corporation people because they're already doing their best in bringing, you know, uh, and connecting and training. So, you know, one of, one of, the, um, one of the things that we have um, is called like the Job Seeker platform, right? So there are around 400 students around in the United States uh, that use IVRA every day on basis for, uh, for enhancing their education. But uh, yeah, beyond that, we also have something called Job Seeker. So one of the, one of the interesting find is, findings that we had was a majority of the people who are using um, IVRA for seeking <coughs> jobs is spending their time looking for jobs that are not this 10% of those corporations, which is very interesting, yeah? So they are going out to uh, seek websites which may be inaccessible because these are small businesses. They may not have investment to make, you know, to make sure, they may not know what the hell is accessibility for what it's worth. Um, so that that's pretty cool. And, and we are also finding people uh, uh, who are shifting their career because you know, that's what they want to do. So 65% of the entire set of folks who went through our program actually changed their jobs. Uh, and 40% of that 65% landed on a job for the first time ever. So I guess, I guess my point in here is, I think we should, we should be, we should be pushing forward in advocating for uh, employment, advocating for jobs, advocating for training and skills that are needed for uh, people who are blind beyond that 10% market that we are currently focused on. And we got to tap into that 90% small businesses who are employing people, and that's when we will solve that 70% unemployment problem. I'm going to go straight to, to Megan um, on the, the topic of small business, and I know you have a, um, a great story on, on an, your own small business. Um, I'm interested in that topic, both from your perspective, but also in a uh, working for the government and the topic of quotas and, and diversity and inclusion? I'll start with the simple one. I, I guess I actually have a portfolio career, so as well as um, doing my day job, I have a, um, an adult child with a significant disability. He um, didn't meet the, the requirements for the NDIS to get support into uh, the supported work and training programs that were in existence. And that happened, I think, in year 11 for him. So when he was in year 12, I said, OK, let's find something that he can do. And I invented a new gourmet food product, which is uh, based on a, um, the byproducts of a, uh, 
a gin, a slow gin that's been made here in Tasmania. Mm. And um, we've turned that into a gourmet food paste. Now, the, the reason um, that, that that's important is that my son can actually push a trolley. So all through years 11 and 12, uh, his, his work-based learning was about learning to push a trolley and carry a little bag so that he could, could take money from people and could um, distribute his uh, gourmet food product. So now um, he's an adult and his business is to uh, go and deliver this uh, product to the distributors and when it's Easter time and Christmas time he does local uh, deliveries to businesses that want to support inclusion. Um, but I do work in um, the, the part of the education department called Support and Development and we have an inclusion uh, team within Support and Development which supports all levels of uh, inclusion and, and types of inclusion across the education department and continually looking at the needs. So we address needs in the early years um, with young people before they even start school. Um, we have the visually impaired, hearing impaired. Um, we have people supporting people with all forms of disability. But we also have um, what's called individual learning plans and many students in Tasmania are on individual learning plans to ensure that the curriculum's being delivered in a way that actually meets their needs uh, and is measuring their milestones and their improvements rather than just being uh, an Australian curriculum and everybody's got to meet the same milestone at the same time. And technology is a really important part of that and having accessible technology to be able to do that. And that ends this week's program. And as a reminder, that came from the session held at the Blind Citizens Australia 2019 convention held in Hobart. If you'd like to get in touch with BCA, the telephone number is 1-800-033-660. If you'd like to email, bca at bca.org.au is the address. And of course, the website is www.bca.org.au. I'm Vaughan Benison. I'll be back again next week. Do take care. We'll achieve the realization of a dream of our dream.